glad to see all the smiles around and uh, just uh, you know another beautiful day that the Lord has given us where we can come together and worship, we can sing praises, we can hear from God's Word, and we can encourage one another and fellowship. It is good to be in church today, and I'm glad you are here with us. Now, so before we get started, I would uh, just want to see if we're all awake and see if we got our thinking caps on. So I want to see if we're we're awake and then see if you know everything's just firing on all cylinders in our in our brains today. So I want to tell you a story real quickly about a, the Tate family. The Tate family. Okay, there, there was many members of the Tate family, and they were all part of a local church. So let me tell you about each one of them just uh, real quickly. And uh, again, I want to see if you're awake this morning. This is the Tate family. The, the, the old man in the family, his name was Dick, and he, he would just want to run everything. Okay, we're not awake yet. Okay, the Tate family, the Tate family. Well, Uncle Roe, he just wanted to try to change everything. Okay, we're getting there. We're getting there. Then there's, then there's Adja. He just liked to stir up trouble along with the help of his sister, Ira. All right, we're getting there. We're waking up. Then whenever new projects were suggested to Heza and his, and his wife, Vedja, just wanted to wait until next year. <laughs> then there is Aunt Emma, who just wanted the church to be like all the other church, other churches. Then there's Devis. Devis provides the voice of doom. Devastate. Okay. okay. Then there was Facilla. Facilla was just quite helpful in getting things done. And uh, was, then there's a, the delightful and happy uh, member of the family, Miss Felissa. You know, you may need to look up that one because it's Latin. And then there was cousins Kaja and Meta. Meta would always like to take his time to just kind of think things over. Meditate. <laughs> and of course, every family's got a black sheep. And the black sheep of this family was Ampu. You know, Ampu would just cut himself off from the rest of the family. All right. I think we're awake now. Some of you are going, what is he talking about? All right. Play back later and then, yeah. but just, uh, now that we're all awake, now we can get into the message. It has nothing to do with the message. Uh, today I want to share with you a portion of scripture that if we were to grasp it, if we were really to able to grasp it and, uh, to understand it and practice it and apply it, it would go a long ways in taking steps towards, uh, spiritual growth faith, and unity within the church, any church. You see, there are things the Bible instructs that uh, us to be on guard against and, and that there are threats to the faith, growth, and unity of a church. And we are instructed, instructed on many occasions for one to be on guard against false teachers. That is a threat that can disrupt the faith, growth, and uh and unity of a church when false teachers come in. And so Second Timothy in chapter 2, Paul instructed Timothy to be a workman rightly dividing the Word of God and to shun those, to shun those that were causing divisions and leading others away from the truths of God, God's Word. And in verse 16 of that chapter, he says that, that the, the vain babblings of these false teachers were causing divisions we're causing an increase in ungodly behavior so so uh, uh galatians 5 9 says a little leaven leaveneth a whole lump and that's speaking about false teachers that uh that would teach uh judaism or uh, legalism and that was threatening the church and its spiritual growth and faith and and unity so he says a little bit of an institute to a church affects the whole body so, so we must be on guard against false teachers. That's one of the things we got to be on guard against. Then we must be on guard against sin, against sin, uh, or perhaps a more helpful way to view it is against rebellion, uh, a, a rebellion against God, as that can rise up in a church. So, sin. Understand this: sin never just affects the person committing the sin; it affects the whole church. Okay, the same principle about the leaven and the uh, uh, leaven of the whole lump is uh, applies to sin as well. Uh, we got to understand what I do, what you do affects the whole church and affects the whole body. So we got to be on guard against sin. Sin unchecked in a church leads 
to more rebellion. The, so, uh, so this is why church discipline is important and needs to be practiced, is the, dealing with the unrepentant. Uh, the church in Corinth had a problem with unrepentant sin that wasn't being dealt with and, and was threatening the spiritual growth of the church. So Paul writes to the church with instructions to deal with it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, It is reported commonly that there was fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. He says, And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. So, so this is sin that's known, but you're not dealing with it. Instead of mourning over it and being grieved over it, you're just allowing it to continue. So he says this, he says, this is what you need to do in verse 5. Deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So, and then verse 7 says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump. Okay? Are ye, as ye are unleavened, for even as Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So, the, so, uh, so this carnality and, and sins of pride also, okay? Not just uh, the fornication, but all sort, all sin has to be dealt with in the church. And, and if it's not, if it's left unchecked, it affects the whole body and affects the spiritual growth and faith and unity of a church. So, uh, then the, the uh, some sins of pride that comes up. There was an instance in the Corinthian church in verse chapter three where they, there was divisions. It says, for ye are, are ye not yet carnal? For as there is among you envying and strife and divisions, for while one saith, I am a Paul, another I am Paulus, are ye not carnal? Okay? So the, 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 the sins of pride can come up and cause divisions. That's the second area that we need to be on guard against. So these things are indisputable. They're indisputable. They're clear teachings in the Word of God. And uh, we need to be on guard against false teachers, against sin or rebellion and carnality as they threaten a church. However, there is another problem area that is a threat to any church that you may not be aware of, uh, or maybe haven't considered, or perhaps you have, but just didn't know what the right response or how to deal with it. Okay. Um, the problem is this, is this. All churches are made up of people with different backgrounds. Every single one of us has a different background. We come here and we come with our different backgrounds. We come together and we join together in the body of Christ, but yet we're all different. We have different experiences and so forth. Uh, we have different generations represented here. and So we're all different. We're raised different. Some grew up in different churches. Maybe you grew up in a Catholic or Protestant church, maybe a legalistic type church, or maybe a liberal or charismatic church, or or no church at all. You know, just a few weeks ago, I spoke to a man and witnessed to a man uh, that had a, a Jewish upbringing. Okay, so he had the background of being raised up in Jewish traditions, and so some churches even have Islamic converts. Okay, and they have a much different background than than many of us. Some of us grew up in small towns, some of us in large cities, and everything in between. Some were born into a different nation in a very different culture. But yet we all come together with these different backgrounds in the body of Christ. Some were children in the 50s, some were children in the 60s, 70s, and so forth. And while some were born in a, in a different century altogether, you know, some of you maybe grew up in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and some weren't even born until a new century came along. You know, it may be hard to think about it, but it's true. Uh, so, you know, things were much different than 20, 30, and 50 years ago. The culture was different. Some went to public school, some went to a private school, or some went to Christian school, some were homeschooled. We're all different. However, we must understand that all these differences have shaped all of us in areas of life. And a lot of that is not a matter of doctrine or sin, but our conscience has been shaped by all those experiences. And sometimes the things that we are so dogmatic about are preferences or opinions. And they aren't really matters 
of sin or doctrine. Let me give you some examples. And this gets to be a tough subject because we're so ingrained in what our conscience tells us is right and wrong in some areas that are not the clear-cut sin or clear-cut doctrinal issues that even bringing up some of these these things, you will automatically, there will be a difference, a wide difference of, of opinion throughout the church. And if I were to poll, we would get all sorts of different answers on these things. So some areas, matters of dress, often when inviting someone to church, okay, I have this quite frequently where I'm witnessing to someone, invite them to church, and once, probably at least 50% of the time, the first thing they ask is, how should I dress? The forefront of the mind, how should I dress? So matters of dress, matters of entertainment, is it wrong to have a TV in the house? Is it wrong to go to the movies? Is it wrong to eat at a restaurant that serves alcohol? Is it okay to watch sports on Sunday? And on and on and on and on. How about matters of worship practices? Some think it's wrong to not sing all the verses of a hymn. Some think you must sing all the verses of a hymn. Some don't have a problem if you sing three out of four. Okay? Some think it's wrong to have a screen with the lyrics, and some think it is helpful. Some think that you should not hold a mic when you sing. Some think that, that it's a, a better way to sing. Some think that we should only sing the old hymns. Some think that we should, it's okay to sing some of the newer stuff. If you change the raiment, the list goes on and on and on and on. Where you can't just say it's clear-cut. This is sin. It's not sin. Or it's a doctrinal issue or not a doctrinal issue. So we have all these things. And uh, how about matters of current affairs, okay? Uh, it's not hard to look in the past year and a half how divisions come around whether to mask or not to vax, mask, to vaccinate or not to vaccinate, to social distance or not to social distance, and on and on and on and on. Understand this, the most of our views on these issues are shaped by our backgrounds, are shaped by our experiences, and Understand this, we're not going to agree on all these issues. And that's okay. But how do we deal with the things we don't agree about? And Because here's the thing about it. We all do have one thing in common. We have more than one thing in common. But we have one thing in common that, that helps to aid in causing uh, these kind of problems is that we still have our corrupt flesh. Okay, so we got saved, we're redeemed, we're going to heaven, but we're still living in our corrupted flesh that still has this sinful flesh. So these areas of conscience can disrupt the church's spiritual growth and unity if we don't know how to deal with them. But the Bible teaches us the proper response to deal with these issues. But too often, these are the causes of divisions. Too often, this is the cause of church splits. Too often, these problems persist because we forget or do not know or are unwilling to apply what the Bible teaches about how to handle these things. So the Bible calls these issues doubtful disputations. That's a old English way of saying matters of opinion. Look at Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Uh, Tim already read the first four verses, but let me read them again. We're going to look at some principles that we can apply from the Word of God to deal with these matters of conscience, with these matters of opinion that aren't necessarily sin. They're not necessarily matters of doctrine, but they're matters of opinion or conscience. Verse 4, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yeah, he shall be holden up. For God is able to make him stand. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, I pray, Lord, for clarity of thought, continuity, as we go through this important principle, Lord, that we can apply that helps a church remain in a state of spiritual growth and unity and growing in faith, Lord, and help us to 
our hearts be open to understand what you're teaching us, Lord, and how to deal with these issues, Lord. Lord, I I am thankful, Lord, for your word that instructs us and guides us, Lord, that gives us answers. And I thank you for it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the first thing that we have to understand on these kind of issues is number one is this. No, there are weak and strong consciences. Within this congregation, okay, if I brought up a particular issue that's not clear-cut sin and it's not a doctrinal issue, and then uh, every one of us is either going to be strong in our conscience on it or weak. We're going to be one of the two, okay? And maybe somewhere in between, but it's going to be, fall into one of those two things. But what does that mean, okay? Well, in Romans chapter 14, we understand that the churches, the early churches, there would be a mixture of Jewish believers, there would be a mixture of Gentile believers in the church. Now, some of the Jewish believers had come from a background of a very strict adherence to the law, okay? Uh, so many of the, the Jewish uh, believers, the Jewish converts, had come out of uh, uh, Judaism. They had come out of a strict adherence to the law. And then some of the Gentile believers, okay, which would have been everybody else, had come from a background sometimes of pagan or idol worship. Very vast different backgrounds, okay? Now some of the Jewish believers were having trouble, though, breaking free from the strict adherence to the Old Covenant, to the dietary laws, to the observance of the Sabbath, and the traditions of the Jewish culture. So they were having trouble breaking free of that. And then imagine, for example, this, that you were keeping the Sabbath as a good Jew. And among other things, keeping the Sabbath meant that you could not leave your house on the Sabbath. It it meant that you could not build a fire on the Sabbath. And you could not compel someone else to work on the Sabbath. But get this, the penalty under Jewish law, if you broke the Sabbath laws, the penalty was death. So you grew up under that, that law, okay, and you know if you break the Sabbath, the penalty is death. That's what's the, under the old covenant, okay? Then imagine, for example, uh, that as a Jew, you get saved and you were taught that Jesus fulfilled the law and you don't have to be concerned about keeping the Sabbath or being put to death uh, because, but your conscience still troubles you because for all your life, you've been taught keeping the Sabbath. You, if you don't, you're, you're violating your, uh, the law of God. And, and if I don't keep the Sabbath, if I don't do these things, God is going to punish me. Okay. So that's your experience. That's your background. So just know, just first hearing the freedom that you have in Christ, still there could be some of those things that says, hey, you know, I'm just not sure. I still think I need to do these things. Okay. So they, you may think they, they, they could think this is going to affect my standing with God. So the person that person would be considered weak in the faith regarding that issue. That person would be weak in the faith. So you go and say you don't have to keep the Sabbath. Don't you know what it says here? And they say I, I'm just not sure. So they're, they're they're weak. They're weak in that area. So the Jew, however, that understands the, 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 then there's the Jewish convert that understands that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. They have a knowledge of that and understands that keeping the laws regarding the Sabbath has no bearing on his relationship with Christ. And he has a clear conscience in matters of the Sabbath as a Jew. And he knows that whether he keeping the Sabbath laws won't affect his relationship with God. So he would be considered strong in that area. Okay, so you have the weak and you have the strong. Now let's look at a Gentile example. So now we have a Gentile that's come out of pagan or idol worship. Okay, now in, in idol worship, they would offer meat as a sacrifice to idols as part of their ritual. Okay, and uh, they would, uh, uh, the meat would become available on the market for the afterwards for sale. And it'd often be cheaper and so uh, and less expensive. So, so the issue arose in the church, and this is kind of what this is talking about, and also 
uh, in Corinthians chapter 8, that Richard, the issue arose whether it was okay to eat meat offered unto idols. Is it okay to eat meat offered unto idols? Uh, and so there was a disagreement in the church. Now imagine that you are a Jew, okay, uh, that had knew their forefathers. If you read the Old Testament, you knew your forefathers had suffered because of idol worship. You know that they had, that that was considered disobedience. And they knew that the warning concerning idol worship. So they didn't know, want anything closely resembling anything close to idol worship. Nothing to do with idol worship. Nothing resembling, nothing close to it. Okay. Just completely stay away. Period. Anything that's even associated with it. He would think that he was somehow participating. The Jew may have thought, I'm somehow participating in idol worship if I were to eat that meat that had been offered unto idols, but now is in the market. Okay? So his conscience says, yeah, I don't know if I should do this. Okay? So he would be considered weak in the faith in that matter. He had not yet learned or believed or understood that what goes into a man, as Jesus taught, is not what defiles him, but what comes out of the heart. So, but then you have the Gentile. The Gentile, he has no problem eating the meat. Okay? He looks at the meat and he goes, wow, that's a good steak. You know, that's awesome though. Not only that, it's cheap. And so he goes and eats, he devours it and it doesn't bother him whatsoever. Now the Jew looks at him and said, man, look at that. Look at that guy. Man, he's, yeah. What rebellious, that guy's terrible. Man, he's an idol worshiper, he's that. But he's eating it, he's having no problem. His conscience is completely clear, he's just enjoying the steak. Okay? And uh, so, so you have, the, they had this issue. Okay? So sometimes, though, a Gentile believer, though, still would have an issue with the meat because they had participated in idol worship, so even sometimes they would have a problem with it. But nonetheless, there was this, there was this, these issues that would come up. The Jew had these issues, the Gentile had these issues, and some, and all these different issues, and the, we have these issues today in many areas. Maybe not meat offered unto idols, but the, there's plenty of issues that come up. So we need to understand this, though, that in every issue, we have different experiences and backgrounds that shape our conscience on the matter. So we'll either be weak, which means our conscience is easily violated in that area, or strong, or confidence knowing that they are not doing something wrong that would affect their relationship with God. So we're either going to be strong or weak on these various issues. And on every issue, you'll have some of both. Now this combined with our corrupt or sinful flesh, okay, understand this, combined with that can cause divisions. Oh, wait a minute, no, that's wrong, that's wrong, this is right, that's wrong. No, it would on and on and on. Debate, 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 on and on and on. Why? It's because we don't understand this principle that here, that it's not clearly sin, it's not a matter of doctrine, it's a matter of conscience. Okay, so the first part in knowing how to deal with these problems is knowing what causes them, which is that we all have different backgrounds that make us each have areas that we're either weak or strong in. This means we have consciences shaped by our backgrounds. But get this, our consciences have been shaped by our backgrounds, but they need to be reshaped, reshaped by the Word of God. They need to be reshaped by the Word of God. Not by the opinions of others, not by our backgrounds, not by our parents, not by all these things, but by the Word of God. That's what our conscience needs to be shaped by. That happens over time as we get into the Word of God and we begin to study and we grow in our relationship and we begin to have an understanding of what these things mean when you are saved and when you're in Christ, what your freedom means and how to apply them and how to use it. But the moment you get saved, you bring with you all your past experiences that's up in your brain, and we all have it. But we have to deal with it through the Word of God. So, but along the way, you're gonna have, we're going to have these differences. Okay, So it's a good thing that the Bible tells us how we continue in unity even when these things exist, which they do. They're going to exist. 
So let's look at the, the, the next principle that we need to apply, which is this. Willing, willingly welcome those that God welcomes. Willingly welcome those that God welcomes. Let me read verses 3 and 4. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yeah, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. Okay, if verse 3 says... If God hath received him, if God receives someone, or if God welcomes someone into fellowship, who are we to reject them? Let me say that again. If God welcomes them into fellowship with himself, who are we to reject them? Do we understand that? God only accepts any of us because of his redeeming blood. None of us could go before His throne. None of us could go before Christ if it was not for His redeeming blood. So He welcomes us into fellowship because of His blood. Because of His sacrifice. The word receive means this, to welcome into friendship or fellowship. So you have two people here that we've been discussing about on either side of an issue. The issue here is meat offered under idols. God says, I've received them both. I've received them both. The one that is concerned about eating the meat and one that's not. I've received them both. You should receive each other. Do we get that? He says, the one strong in the faith, the one that does not have a problem with eating the meat offered in the dials, he says, they should not despise the weak brother. Okay, so the one that uh, uh, can eat the meat and, they're, and they don't have a problem with it, they, don't, they know that it's not as affect their relationship with God. The temptation, though, is to despise the one over here that is weak and that thinks that you're committing some sin. So you can be tempted to despise that person. And, uh, and he says they should not despise the weak brother. He says don't get angry with your brother because they have a, a, a problem that you don't have. On the other hand, the weak brother or the one that is offended in an area is instructed not judge the strong brother. Let me say that again. It goes two ways. It goes both ways. The weak brother is instructed to not judge. So the, the strong, okay, is tempted to despise and say, oh, we can't do anything because this one's always got a problem with everything. So we can't do anything because of it. Okay. Then the other one is going, you're wicked because you're eating that meat. They're judging, saying, what's wrong with you, you wicked Christian? Don't you know that was offering under idols? But he knows that there's nothing wrong with it. But yet, the weaker brother's judging the other. So one's despising, one's judging. Okay? The weak brother's instructed to not judge the stronger brother. To judge is to condemn, not to hell, but we're not talking about salvation, but we're talking about a right standing with you can't be right with God and do that. That's what we say. Okay? How can they do that? Too often the weak brother assumes that their position is righteous, and the other is not. Remember, though, these are not matters of sin. These are matters of conscience or matters of opinion. Look at verse four. Who art thou that judges another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yeah, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. Understand this. We are all accountable to God. He's a better judge than you and I. Jump down to verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Do you realize that? If you are a Christian today, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Maybe you haven't thought about this, but how you treat each other in these areas will be judged too. Are we going to judge it according to how God tells us to judge it or how to deal with it? Or are we going to deal with it the way we think? We will be held accountable for those things. 
For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. So we will all be held accountable. We all will give an account. So instead of despising or judging our brothers and sister in Christ on these peripheral matters, we should assume that the other wants to please the Lord just as you do. You don't know their motives. You don't know what they're, uh, what they're experiencing in the back. You don't know why they think the way they do. They have a different experience than you. So they think different than you. So we all think differently. So assume that they want to please the Lord just as you do. Look at verse 6. He that regardeth the day like the Sabbath, or, or regardeth it, it unto the Lord. So he said, the one that wants to observe the Sabbath, he does it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth it not, not the day, the one that doesn't think he need to keep the Sabbath, he does to the Lord, and doth not regard it. He that eateth, or he eats the meat, and he that eateth, he eats it to the Lord and gives thanks. And the one that doesn't eat won't eat the meat after all. The Lord eateth not. He gives thanks too. They both want to please the Lord. But yet, we seem to think we know what the motive is. So he's saying, look, they're both trying to please God. They're both trying to do the right thing. They both have the same motive. The only difference is that their consciences are shaped differently. This may be something that I pray that we grasp, that we get, because it would transform our churches. We're shaped differently. Which takes me to my next point. Don't force your freedoms on others. Don't force your freedoms on others. Or don't be a stumbling block. Romans 14, 13-15 Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather. Do this instead. That no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. So Paul, I'm persuaded that there's nothing unclean about the meat. It's okay to eat it. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, in other words, what said, I don't know, I got a problem with it. Okay? To him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with my meat, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meat. For whom Christ died. So the one that's strong said, I don't have any problem. It's just a stake. You just need to get over it. Just get over it. He says, no. You need to be considerate about your weaker brethren. Don't cause him to stumble. Don't insist that, well, you just don't know it's okay. No, you can cause your brother to stumble. That's not loving. Loving denies yourself. Loving says... A Christ-like love says it's not about me, it's more about others. So you come, instead of doing that, you guide them along. Maybe you help teach them. You say, okay, I'm not going to eat it. Okay, let's have a Bible study. A loving, caring Bible study. Let's teach about this. Let's talk about this issue while we eat a salad. Okay? I'm not going to eat the meat. I'm not going to sit there and just worry about what I can do and what I can't do. I'm going to help my brother kind of gain a little more knowledge about where he, about Christ. I'll take some time. So he says, if your brother's grieved with me, now walk us out not terribly. If you cause them to violate their conscience. So the Christian life, get this. Get this. The Christian life is about putting others above ourselves. When our conscience is clear in an area, when we have freedom in an area, we cannot force that upon the one that is weak. You can't force it upon them. You cause them to stumble. You can cause them to stumble in their faith. You can affect their spiritual law. You affect the whole body. And you affect the unity in the body. When you insist, my way's right and yours is wrong. And you insist on it and you pound on it and say, my way's right yours is wrong. That's not Christ-like. So verse 5 says that we must be fully persuaded. Okay? You can't force it. We have to be fully persuaded Back to verse 5 in Romans 14. One man esteemeth one day above another. So one man thinks about the Sabbath, that this is important. Another esteemeth every day alike. Says, they're all the same. It doesn't matter. Let every man, though, be fully persuaded in his own mind. You can't force that on someone. That happens by 
time and gently teaching, instructing in the Word of God, and our consciousness begin to be reshaped by, and we begin to have the mind of Christ and what He teaches, and we begin to understand who we are in Christ, what that means, how do we apply that to life. But so we take along and we, and we teach these things. So if you force someone that is weak in an area to take your position without having their consciousness fully convinced that they are not doing something wrong, what you're doing to them is become a stumbling block to their faith. You're setting them up for a fall. So understand this. For someone strong in an area, he has a choice. He has a choice. If you're strong in an area, if you're strong in the area about the meat, okay, it's like, that doesn't bother me. You have a choice. You can take it or leave it. It doesn't matter. The one that's weak, though, if he goes ahead and eats it, he's going to feel guilty. He's going to feel terrible. Okay? He doesn't really have a choice. His only choice is violate his conscience or not violate his conscience. Do you understand that? Do we understand? Okay, so, so, however, so the weak only has one choice. Violate your conscience or not. So when we impose your liberty on them, you're causing them to violate their conscience. Now get this. When you do that, that is sin. And that is clear cut. It is clear cut to not impose on others. That is sin. Romans 14.23 says this, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eat not of faith. For what is not of faith is sin. And then the weaker brethren, he's not fully persuaded, but he goes ahead and does it anyways. That's sin. Because he's violated his conscience. So as Christians, we have a choice. We should take into consideration how our choices affect others. What we do, how it affects others. This is a sign of spiritual maturity. Okay, Denying yourself something you could otherwise freely participate in. This is why a large part of the emphasis of this Scripture is on the strong denying themselves. Because they have a choice. Get this. This is the sin part for the strong brethren. Verse 15. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, you go ahead and eat it. Say, there's nothing wrong with it. And you go ahead and do it. Okay. Now walketh not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. That's a commandment. That's sin when we violate it. The strong should rather gently teach and instruct out of love to better inform the conscience of the weaker brother. Which takes me to the next point. To know these issues. Understand this. All these issues, and there's hundreds and thousands and probably millions of them, they are distractions from the real work of Christ. They are distractions from the real work of Christ. Romans 14, starting verse 16. Let, then, let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God, get this, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness. The spiritual things have nothing to do with these things that you're all fighting about. Okay? It has to do, it's a spiritual thing. It is not about those things. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy. It's about things you don't see. Jesus said, my kingdom is a kingdom you don't see. The things of God are about the things we don't see. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and proved to men. Let us therefore fall after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. Get this. For meat destroy not the work of God. It, this, this is not going to destroy God's work whether you eat it or not. That's not going to destroy the work of God. That's not the big issue. That's not going to destroy God's work. It's not going to destroy the gospel work. That's not going to be what destroys it. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. That's the sin. Hopefully we're getting this. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. So, get this. I believe the devil, okay, he, and our flesh likes to use these issues to divide and hinder 
the work of Christ. Get this. I'm going to say that again. I believe the devil and our flesh takes these issues to divide and hinder the work of the ministry. We get so busy on these issues and we're not doing what matters. The work of the ministry. Verse 16 says, Let not your good be evil spoken of. You know, although you may have freedom in an area, does not mean that you should exercise that freedom. It can cause, get this, it can cause the lost world and the weaker brother and sister to see you as unloving and uncaring. That's not a proper representation of the Christ that's in us. Christ is loving. He is caring. Christ denied Himself. We want to win people to Christ. And sometimes that means denying yourself of your Christian liberties over matters that are not of eternal consequence. Look at verses 19 and 20. 19, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Do not lose focus is what he's saying. Do not lose focus on what you're supposed to do. Minister to others. Share the Gospel. Help others grow in the faith. Don't lose your focus on all these peripheral issues where, where you become more concerned about those your Christian liberties than the souls of others. That's what the warning is here. Verse 20, For meat destroyeth not the work of God. When you, you use your Christian liberty selfishly and carelessly, and it, that offends the weaker brother, and it's called evil. Why? Understand this. God did not save you to do what you want to do. He set you free from the power of sin. He gave you a home in heaven, a new identity, and you became a servant of His to do what He wants you to do. And this is what He says I want you to do. This is it. This is what I want you to do. So, verse 21, It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth. Or his fender was made weak. Sometimes it's better. Understand this. Sometimes it's better. Just don't let anybody know what your opinion is. Just, it's not helpful. So just don't say anything. Verse 22 Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Let me say that again. Hast thou faith? You're strong. Just keep it to yourself. Have it thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he allows. If your speech, get this, if your speech and the things you say is not loving and helping to build up others in the faith regarding whatever issue it is, you're better off not saying anything at all. Okay? Just keep it to yourself. Don't go on Facebook debating your position. That's not helpful. But it's rather harmful as it comes off as proud. We need to humble ourselves. Humility is the currency of the Christian life. You need humility. Remembering God had to bring us all along in faith. God graciously has brought all of us along in faith. We're only where we are spiritually because of the grace of God. You did not earn it. It's not because of your ability or any of those things. And if anything, we deter it and get in the way of it. It's because of the grace of God we are where we are spiritually. If you're mature in Christ, we need to be humble. Lastly, is this. Follow the example of Christ. Follow the example of Christ. This spilled. God spent a whole chapter and almost a chapter and a half dealing with this issue. And another chapter in another book because it's an important issue. And it can be a difficult thing to understand, so we need to review it over and over and over again because it's so vital that we understand it. But verse 15, it spills over into this. He says, We then are strong, ought to do what? Bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. I've seen this before where... uh, Christian grows up maybe in the church or in a Christian home and they didn't like some of the rules or some of the standards, some of these things. And they get out and say, I'm free in Christ. And they begin flaunting all their freedoms. Well, you know, it's okay for me to do this, drink this or do that. And post, post it all over the place. And, it's okay, it's okay. I'm free in Christ. There's no... Not even once considering you may be causing someone else to stumble. 
You may be tripping someone else up in their faith. Don't care. It's all about me. I can do what I want to do. He says, when we are strong, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good. You've got to be more concerned about building up your neighbor in faith. For even Christ pleased not Himself. There it is. There's the example. Even Christ pleased not Himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on Me. So, Christ could have pulled Himself off of the cross. He was reviled, but He reviled not. He denied Himself. Would it have been right for Him to take Himself on the cross and righteous? Sure. He didn't do it. He allowed the unrighteousness of man come upon him. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you this. Said the God of patience and consolation grant you this. Be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Does that mean have all the right same opinions? No. Means have the same attitude towards one another. Doesn't mean we all have to have the same opinions or think the same thing about everything. Said so no, have the same attitude that Christ has towards each other, loving and caring about the other more than yourself. That is what he's telling us. So to bear means to help or carry the load. In this case, not adding to the load of those others and what they're carrying. We can add to the burden of, of life to other people by insisting on they think like we think. And they're already having a tough time in life. Now you're just throwing more stuff at them. All these hundreds of peripheral issues. And they're, they're just trying to live for Christ. Now there's, no, what I, there's a, okay, there's 10, 20, 50, there's a hundred things I gotta remember to, if I'm gonna be right with God, I gotta keep all these things. And now they're sinking, they're sinking and sinking. Why? Because you just keep shoving more on them. Keep shoving more on them. Do we understand this principle? Christ gave up the right to His throne to settle all of our infirmities on the cross. So some of these things we trifle over seem silly in comparison, really, to Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Giving up some of your liberty in relation to the cross pales in comparison. He says, have the mind of Christ. Be like-minded. Be like-minded is to have the mind of Christ. To have the mind of Christ is to have the mind of a servant. A servant has no rights. So, I have a right. I can do this. I can do that. I'm free. I can do... No. You're not. You're a servant of God. You're a servant of Christ. He's the Master. The only right you have is to do what He wants you to do. We serve at the pleasure of Christ. So the key to having unity on these issues... You say, oh, that was confusing. There's so much there. Okay. I understand that. But understand this. If you apply this, I think these other things will begin to settle themselves. The key to having unity on these issues is to have the mind of a servant denying ourselves for the benefit of others. We say that one time. The key to having unity on these issues is to have the mind of a servant denying ourselves for the benefit of others, seeing the needs of others as more important than our own, just as Christ did for us. That is the key. I understand this is a lot. I've thrown at you a whole chapter and a half in, in maybe 40 minutes or so. I encourage you to go back and read chapter 14 of Romans and first part of 15. Study it. See, ask God to teach you these things. Okay, this is an area that's important that is a threat to the unity of a church. Okay, so I want to encourage you to get into the Word of God and study these things. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that we would have the mind of Christ, that of a servant, Lord, and I fail, Lord. There's times I fail in this area, Lord. Thank You for the reminder that I need, Lord. Lord, it's not about me. It's not about any of us. It's about You. It's about the Kingdom of Heaven, Lord. The things that we don't see, 
the important things. Lord, help us to have a concern for the souls of the lost, Lord, for the souls of uh, new converts that get saved, Lord, for the souls of those next to us, Lord. Help us to have a concern to lift up and edify those in the church, Lord. Lord, we thank You for what You did for us. Lord, we were yet sinners. You died for us, Lord. You came to redeem us, Lord. We have nothing to boast about. Lord, I thank You for the humility You demonstrated on the cross. You sacrificed Yourself. Lord, help us to be a sacrifice to to the work of Christ, Lord, that we give up our rights to serve You. I thank You for it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand with your eyes closed and the heads bowed. Is there an area that you have an opinion on that you've been so strong on and you say, Lord, help me to understand this, how I can apply this. Help me how to put others' needs above what my own needs or my own opinions. Maybe you're sitting here and you've seen others. You have a strong opinion, but they're, they're doing some things that you, you disagree with. And uh, you think that maybe they're not living for God. You say, Lord, help me with my attitude towards my brother and sister in Christ. Help me to have the mind of Christ. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ at all as your Savior. Uh, if that's the case, you're sitting here, I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. Would you come forward and step out of your pew and come forward and somebody will show you from the Word of God how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. How many would say here today, I want to apply these things to my life. I understand they're kind of hard, but I want to have the mind of Christ and that of His servant. I want to be used by God this week. I'm going to deny myself. Who here would like to have the mind of Christ be a servant? Will you just raise your hand? Hands all over. You know, we can't do this on our own. These are hard. It's hard to deny ourselves. We need the grace of God. That's where humility comes into place. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for answers, Lord, to difficult subjects, Lord. Lord, help us humbly go before You, dependent upon You, dependent upon Your wisdom, Your guidance, as we deal with many difficult matters at times, Lord. And Lord, just help us to have the mind of Christ as we leave here today. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.